Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, that's a lovely greeting uh, response that I've got there. Um, yes, great to be here among you. Um, I didn't do what I would have done a couple of years ago, which was I didn't preach in our church this morning. I just attended there um, and saved my energy for this afternoon. But it's great to be here, and um, I'm going to share uh, from the Word of God with you, um, and I'm hoping that the Lord will speak to you through uh, this Word. Um, the title of my talk or preach is, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? It's just been something that has been um, on my heart for um, probably many weeks, a couple of months. And I guess it all probably started because in our church we are following the story of the first um, church in the book of Acts. And it's been, we've been on this amazing journey just trying to understand who we are, um, grounding ourselves in the nature of what church is, um, and especially uh, for us who have been in church for quite a while, sometimes it's a bit of unlearning that we have to do to really understand church. And it's been a great journey. Uh, we started, I think, in November last year. We've reached chapter 9. We're just towards the end of chapter 9 at the moment. Uh, but we have been on this journey where God has really been speaking to us and shaping our understanding of who we are and grounding us in the nature of who we are. And um, after I gave this title to the preach that I'm going to share and going to minister this afternoon, I discovered that what's in the name is actually a very famous phrase. Um, I didn't know that. Uh, not that I didn't know about the author, okay? I know about the author. I even know about that particular play that it was. But do you, anyone you know who, what I'm talking about? Exactly, Shakespeare. Um, so what's in a name? And um, just just kind of maybe give a background to everyone. It's, it's the story of, you know, uh, William Shakespeare's most famous and most celebrated play, Romeo and Juliet. And in Romeo and Juliet, we find that uh, Juliet has this soliloquy where she goes, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet? And, uh, and she does that because she's not allowed to have any association with Romeo because he is a Montague. And uh, she's complaining that his name is meaningless um, that in her view, he would still be the same beautiful young man, even if he had a different name. So she was just kind of dissing the name and saying the name is meaningless. Of course, I beg to differ, and that's why I'm here this afternoon. But I'm going to share um, this message, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background first as I come to this message. And, and the background is, is in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, um, we, we find the disciples of Jesus who have been commissioned by him, who have been now empowered by his Holy Spirit to continue the work that he started. And he trusts these, uh, you know, these, these at the forefront of these 12 young men 
uh, who were uneducated, common fishermen, and then he trusted them with his word. And um, just just to kind of kind of backtrack a bit, the picture that Robin shared of our church is a bunch of very very young adults. And some years ago, when I first shared with them the vision that we had, um, that God gave us. Um, for a church. We weren't the church that we were uh, when I shared this vision. And one of the things that one of the young girls who asked me was, she looked at me and she, her jaw dropped. And then she looked at me like this and she said, Ephraim, do you trust us? Was her question. And I said, no, I don't trust you. I trust God who has trusted you, so I'm going to go with that. And literally her jaw has dropped and she was, she was, she's one of the you know, worship leaders, she leads a small group as well. And that was her question many years ago, that do you even trust us? Like, are we not immature? Are we not like, you know, hopeless? Are we not just like uh, kids? And these were such when Jesus left them and when the Holy Spirit, of course, came and he empowered them and they were equipped. And we now see that they continue this work of the Lord Jesus Christ of announcing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And as they do, um, of course, many of you will know, and as they do, what happens is that in the third chapter of the book of Acts, this miraculous and spectacular healing takes place of this lame man who is sat at the gates called Beautiful um, in the temple, um, uh, just uh, in, in the temple entrance. And, and they... they he, he not only gets healed, but he's leaping and dancing and praising God because he's so grateful, he's so excited, he's so over the moon of the fact that for however long it was, he had been lame from birth, and now he's suddenly not only walking, but leaping. He's dancing, he's praising God. He's so excited about the work of God in his life, this healing that has taken place. Uh, and this is a physical healing that has taken place, but he's all over the place, and people knowing who he is because he has been there for a very long time, knowing who he is, he begins to attract attention because he's holding on to, and he's kind of around Peter and John, whom God used to bring about his healing. And, you know, it's this, the healing of this such well-known person, and albeit from a lifetime of being lame, um, and his subsequent, of course, understandably, euphoria that attracts this huge crowd. And then Peter and John begin to actually address the crowd and trying to explain what has happened. And this was something they probably did not expect, to be honest with you. They didn't even expect this would happen. You know, Peter was and John, they were just going to the temple, and then suddenly there's this person, and then the Spirit of God moves in their hearts, and Peter just says to him, look at me. And then when he looks at him, he just gives him the name of Jesus, and this guy gets healed. Um, and as they drew the attention of the people around who um, wanted to know what was, what was happening, how did this all happen, they unwittingly, of course, also draw the attention of the temple authorities who were not happy at what Peter and John had to say. And um, we find in Acts chapter 4, I'm going to kind of take it from Acts chapter 4, and in Acts chapter 4, we find in the first two verses, 
Um, it says, as they were speaking to the people, that is Peter and John, <clears throat> the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the temple authorities were greatly annoyed. This was not a kind of a light frustration, a light kind of nuisance. They were greatly annoyed that Peter and John were actually um, teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And it's interesting that it was not so much the miracle that caught their attention, but the teaching content, which was resurrection, the teaching content, and in particular, the name in which it was delivered. That ruffled their feathers. That was something that they could not allow to happen. So we, fee- we see that um, this leads to the arrest of Peter and John. They get arrested. They get arrested and um, they are presented before the Jewish rulers and authorities. And in verse 7, we're staying in chapter 4, and in verse 7, we find the authorities questioning them. And the question is again the question around the name. Verse 7 says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? I guess it goes without saying that Jewish people and the Jewish and the Hebrew tradition understood the power of names. And so they said, by what power and, you know, by what name did you do this? The power and the name behind this very public healing of a very well-known lame man from birth caused them concern because it potentially threatened their authority. And so this name in which they were teaching, this name by which they, you know, healed this man was now becoming a name that the people in authority were concerned about. It bothered them so much. They arrested them, had them stand in front of them and began to question them. And for Peter and John, there was, of course, no hiding or disguising the fact that it was by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And we find Peter replying to them in Acts chapter 4 and in verse 10 he says this to them because they have questioned by what power and in what name are you doing what you are doing and teaching what you are teaching now how why and their response to them was in Acts chapter 4 verse 10 no sorry in Acts chapter 4 um, verse 10 yes let it be known to all of you And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. There was no shying away from the name of Jesus. There was no holding back. There was no trying to actually sugarcoat the name of Jesus. They were upfront. And Peter said, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. 
by him, this man is standing before you well. He was not holding back when it came to proclaiming the name of Jesus. This was the opportunity. This, in fact, was what God had in mind, was not just the healing, the physical healing of a person, of a man who needed healing. God did care about that man. God cares about us, our individual needs. But ultimately, God wanted the name of Jesus to be proclaimed through this miracle. And so we find that Peter not only responds to their question, by what power and by what name have you done this, but he actually goes one step further. And that's what I love about it. He goes one step further and he expands um, you know, boldly on this name, identifying Jesus as the stone, the builders, those who were in authority, those who were sitting there questioning him. He says, he is the stone that you, the builders, rejected. But God actually made him the chief cornerstone. And Peter was bold about this. And so Peter, he doesn't stop and answer the question only, which was actually related to the healing, but he expands on that. He goes further and proclaims the name of Jesus to them as the stone the builders rejected, which they would be very familiar with. They would be very familiar with that verse, with that quote from the Old Testament. And so Peter continues and he delivers that, um, what I would call the, the killer blow in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The killer blow. Anyone know Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Absolutely. That's the killer blow that he delivers to them. That's the one he says to them. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. They didn't ask for all of this. They were not interested in knowing this. They only wanted to know what happened to that lame person and by what power and by what name and what name they healed him. And yet we see Peter going over and beyond their question and responding with this um, statement that there is salvation in no one else. And he was like making it absolutely clear, categorically clear, and, and, and making this at the exclusion of everything and everyone else. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, he says, no other name. Under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. You see, this spectacular miracle or work of God served to draw attention to the name of Jesus by which it was performed, leading to his exaltation and leading to the proclamation of salvation and resurrection. The significance of the name of Jesus was not just for the physical healing. And sometimes we, we get carried away maybe with what God does in the here and the now and in the natural, or rather in the supernatural. 
and and you know we we kind we, we don't we, we forget to see or we overlook this truth that God is using every opportunity every chance that he works in our lives to bring glory to the name of Jesus to give opportunity for the proclamation of the name of Jesus and salvation in that name Jesus' name and its significance was not restricted, but went beyond the healing of one man all the way to eternal salvation of the entire human race. That healing of one man was just a platform, was just a kind of a launch pad for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed in the presence of these authorities as powerfully as Peter proclaimed it when he said, there is no other name. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, friends. No other name. Whether it's for my son, for my daughter, for my friend, for my mother, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That's, that's a powerful proclamation. That's the proclamation of the church. That is what we are called to proclaim. Every situation, every opportunity, every chance that God gives us, you know, in the things that he does in our lives is an opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. Bring people the opportunity to be saved by calling on the name of Jesus. The significance of Jesus' name wasn't lost on the apostles and on the first church. They pressed into it. And, and we know that the name of Jesus, you know, if you ask what's in a name, the name of Jesus is the name by which we are saved by. And not only us who are already saved, but the entire human race has no other hope, no other exit, no other rescue other than in the name of Jesus. Matthew, in his gospel, tells us that the Father gave the name Jesus to the Son precisely for this reason. Matthew records for us the incident when the angel appears to Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, this is what the angel says to Joseph, because Joseph had uh, considered all the things that had happened around Mary, and as he was considering it, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, um, Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, as the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus. It's not only a name by which he was identified, but a name that carried and showed his mission and power to accomplish it. Jesus 
the name Jesus in, in the Hebrew, it actually means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. Um, it's, it's the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have Joshua, which is the same name. And that's what it means, that the Lord is salvation. And because there is salvation in the name of Jesus. There is no other place that we can find salvation but in the name of Jesus. And we find that in the book of Acts itself, when Peter preached his first sermon, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they had been uh, baptized and empowered by him, and in his first sermon, Peter proclaims to the people in Acts chapter 2 and in Verse 21, he says to them, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. No exception. No exception because salvation is in that name. Whoever you are, whatever background you come from, whatever baggage you come with, regardless of any baggage that you have, you come to the name, you come to Jesus, you call upon his name, and the Bible tells us that we're guaranteed our salvation is secured. Our eternity is secured because eternity, salvation, sorry, is a gift from God. It's not something that we acquire. It's not something that we actually reach at some point, but it's something that God has already given us. And the Bible tells us that everyone who comes, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is what Peter told the crowds on the day of Pentecost, reminding them of God's promise from the book of Joel, when he said to them, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Such was the boldness and the authority that these common, uneducated men demonstrated before these educated and powerful, authoritative Jewish leaders. They showed boldness that was unusual. They were, and, and these people noted it. And I want to conclude by a few application points. The first one is um, in, in verse 13, uh, when, when Peter has declared to them that there is salvation in no other name, no one else but the name of Jesus. He has proclaimed this to them with such boldness. And now they begin to kind of have cold feet they begin to think, how and where did this boldness come from? So we find in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. These uneducated common men, now powered by God's Spirit, had stood up to the authorities and proclaimed the name of Jesus, whom the authorities had crucified several weeks before. And as they spoke with the, about this powerful name and their testimony, they decided, the authorities decided to charge the apostles not to speak anymore or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They began to get cold feet because the name of Jesus, as they saw, not only healed 
a man who was lame from birth. They also saw that this Jesus had actually transformed common and uneducated men into bold proclaimers of his name that they began to be scared. And not only that, they told them that this name that they rejected is the very name that God has actually made the chief cornerstone. Wouldn't that send shivers down your spine? If you're in a person of authority and they're coming with this powerful authority, uneducated common men, but transformed by Jesus and by his spirit. And so in, we go down further in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 18. Um, the Bible tells us the authorities, they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Wow. come to Peter and John's response. I, gave, I, I kind of termed, I kind of summarized the response in two words. Can anyone have a guess what those two words are? That's a good one. That's a good one. I love that. What else? Obey God. That's also a good one. I went like this, fat chance, <laughs> fat chance not to actually speak at all in the name of Jesus when we have our own lives, this is what we are here for, we have been called, we have been witnesses, and that we, this is what we are. And their response was literally fat chance that that is going to ever happen. You're not going to get that from us. And sometimes I need it. Sometimes I feel that like we as church need that kind of, um, kind, kind of, you know, gung-ho, going for it, fat chance that I'm not going to speak about Jesus. Fat chance that I'm not going to actually share Jesus with whoever it is that needs him, that God has given me that opportunity and led me to that. And God was, had given them this opportunity. This was a God-created opportunity. This was God who healed this man who was well known in the city of Jerusalem. And God had created that opportunity and that chance. And then here comes the enemy saying, don't ever speak in that name again. So the two words, when they're expanded, they go, they go like this. Acts chapter 4 verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There's no way we're going to stop. We have seen, we have heard, and Jesus has called us to be witnesses. You see, this intense, focused, and unapologetic proclamation and centering on the name of Jesus characterized the early church and unsettled and disturbed their enemies. This singular focus, intense, unapologetic proclamation of the name of Jesus. It characterized the early church. 
And it challenges me, challenges us as his church. Are we in that same category? Do we fall in there? Because it is the same focus and centering on Jesus that will continue to not only advance the gospel, but also unsettle those who are the enemies of the gospel. And sadly, we have them even today. Peter and John said, you cannot stop us from speaking of what we have seen and heard when we have been tasked with this very responsibility of being witnesses to what we have seen and heard. And it's, it's the same with us today. It's the same with us today. This should be our stand as his church. The same stand that Peter and John took should be the stand of us as the church of Jesus Christ. Not shying away, but being bold in our proclamation of this name. This name that alone saves. We too need to maintain that unwavering focus on and fearlessly uphold the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, friends. The only name. The only name. Of course, in this context, in the case of the apostles, there was something that these apostles had seen and heard. And the implication is that for us too, it's what we have experienced. It was we have seen. It's what we have heard from the Lord that we can take and be witnesses of. And the more we, the closer we get to the Lord, the more our experiences with Him. As we walk with Him, as we walk with the Lord, He's faithful to intervene in all our situations, in all our circumstances, and we see Him. We see him, we experience him. He's not a distant God. He's a very close God. And the, as the Bible says, he's closer to us than our own breath. Closer to us than our own breath. Can you imagine that? God is closer to you than your own breath. Yeah. Sometimes we, 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 we kind of find and we kind of look for and seek uh, for people who can be close to us, which, which God uses, by the way. But God says, you know, he's closer. I'm closer to you than your own breath, is what God is saying. I'm closer to you than your own breath. You can experience him. One of the challenges I have, possibly being a different generation to the majority of the congregation in Christ Community Church, which I am part of and I serve in, is trying to um, encourage people to allow God in every area of their lives and allow, see Him in everything. Walk with Him in those places where they even never thought that He would be there for them. Because our witness, what we experience, are key. That's what empowers our witness. The late John Stott said something else. Something I want to share with you, just 
because it always challenges me. He says, nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, ties the tongue like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. And the more we experience God, the more we walk with him, the more we allow him and surrender our lives to him, the more we experience and the greater the power of our witness is going to be. I want to finish by just maybe encouraging us to take on the spirit of the first church that was in Peter and in John. The spirit that would not stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you as community churches here in Basingstoke to be the churches that Jesus is proclaimed in and by. That you don't shy away from proclaiming the name of Jesus. That you don't hold back from proclaiming the name of Jesus. That every opportunity that God opens for you and gives you, you proclaim the name of Jesus and salvation that is found only in that name. Only in that name. Recently, we had a... um, we, we work with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And as we were working with them this past um, August, they had a crusade in the city of London. And one of the things that we did was we encouraged everyone to continually pray into that um, event. But not only to pray into that event, but pray into um, connecting with friends. There's a, there's a particular initiative called I Am Andrew Initiative where we encouraged everyone to find at least one person they can connect with, they can bring uh, to that event uh, after having conversations with them. And I was particularly burdened um, to pray for three people in particular. One was um, a work colleague, um, I'm bivocational, so I work in an office Monday to Thursday, and so one was a work colleague, um, and the other one was a family member, an extended family member, a nephew. Um, The other one was a neighbor. And as I was praying for them, just a few weeks before the actual event, uh, an opportunity arose where one of my work colleagues, um, an opportunity to share with Jesus with one of my work colleagues arose. And, and this was a person who was very, very resistant to anything to do with church. And as we were discussing and as we were talking, her question is, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why, Jesus? why not this person? Why not that religion? Why not that? And that was my opportunity. That was my, like, this is where I live. This is where I thrive. This is what I want to do. We literally had two hours conversing about Jesus and sharing with her the power that is only in Jesus and his name to save. She eventually went with me to the event, as did one of the others. Uh, And we're still in conversation, but she has now got this, this truth in front of her that she needs to actually work on. She needs to actually make a decision for herself. But we're having this ongoing conversation. Even this last week, we tried to get a conversation in, but it didn't happen. So we decided, okay, next week, we're going to continue this conversation. But every opportunity that God gives us, I would like to encourage you as the church in Basingstoke 
to not hold back, but to like Peter and John, especially when the enemy, and in various ways, the enemy pushes us back from proclaiming the name of Jesus. In this instance, it was the authorities that stood in the way of Peter and John and tried to stop them from proclaiming the name of Jesus. Sometimes it's not, and often it may not even be a person. It may not be anything that you can see. It may be the enemy that is just intimidating us from within. I want to encourage you that people have no hope, no hope outside Jesus. People are totally lost outside Jesus. As Peter said, we too say together with the first church and the Spirit and the Word of God that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's be bold to proclaim Jesus in the power of the Spirit is what I want to encourage you to do as you witness to his salvation and to his power here in Basingstoke. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm so excited and thrilled whenever I think that, you know, God has saved me. I'm, I'm, I'm eternally secure. I'm eternally sorted and this afternoon lord we just want to thank you again for the gift of salvation lord for the gift of salvation that we have received because we have called upon your name lord jesus this afternoon lord we want to thank you that we are eternally secure each one of us who have called upon your name lord jesus we are eternally secure we are saved for eternity because of what you have done and we can be assured we are 100 percent assured that we are saved because it is not us who are saved ourselves it is you lord jesus your work on the cross that has secured our salvation therefore lord we give thanks to you and rejoice in this salvation lord rejoice in this work that you have completed on the cross by which we have become saved, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to thank you for all who are saved, all who have come to faith in you. But Lord, we also want to continue, Lord Jesus, to proclaim you in our communities, Jesus, because you alone can save. It is your name that saves, Jesus. It is the only name given under heaven among men, as your word says, by which we must be saved. Therefore, Lord, this afternoon, we pray as your church that we would be empowered by you to continue, Lord, to press on proclaiming the name of Jesus in the city of Basingstock, Lord, proclaiming that Jesus alone saves, Lord. Every opportunity, every chance that you give, Lord, may it be used for your glory and for the salvation of many who are yet to be saved in this city. Lord, we just want to thank you that you desire your church to be a proclaiming church. The name of Jesus, proclaiming the name, the only name that is given under heaven among men by which we must all be saved. And there is no other man, there is no salvation in no one else, Lord. In no one else. There is salvation in no one else. And Lord, we pray that this would sink and that we would be encouraged, stirred, 
and empowered by your spirit to do this, Lord, in our workplaces, Lord, in the marketplaces, Lord, where we live, where we work, where we do life, Lord. May we be emboldened by your spirit to continue this proclamation, the witness, Lord, that you have tasked us with wherever we may be, Lord. And I pray this afternoon, Lord, for the church in basics, Lord, that they would receive Lord, your, your power in double portion to do this, Lord, in the coming months, in the coming years, Lord. May they be a true salt and light as, and pointing to you, Jesus, and exalting your name. Thank you, Jesus, that there is salvation in no other name but yours. Thank you, Jesus, that your name is salvation, Lord. Your name is salvation. We rejoice that we have been saved by this name. And Lord, I pray that we'd continue to take this name to many who are yet to be saved. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.